See, happiness comes and goes with the experience of our current situation, with the weight of the world around us, so we can experience happiness eating Taco Bell, and very shortly afterwards, we experience all of the unpleasantness of the fact that we ate Taco Bell. We can experience happiness with a good cup of coffee, and then we can spill it down our shirt and wish we hadn't had that cup of coffee. Happiness is situational. And it is good to experience situational happiness. In fact, if you live in such a way that you're never happy, I would challenge you're probably doing something wrong. Because based on the number of cat videos I received this week, even if you don't like cats, there's something that can make you laugh in the moment. I promise. Happiness we can change, but we can't control. But joy is deep within us. It is a contentment, a peace that surpasses all understanding, a sense of of just rest in the promise that you are loved. Joy is an understanding that nothing this world throws against you, no matter how terrible or miserable it may be, nothing can ever take God's love away from you. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. For those of you who are joining us today for the first time or for the first time in a while, let me share with you a little secret. We believe in this place that Easter is our greatest joy. So much so that Easter is not just one Sunday of the year we celebrate, where we have all kinds of fun and food and time with others. No, Easter is our joy as Christians every day. Because He didn't just die and then rise again back then. He still remains risen today. and It's really, really good news for you and me. See, in this world, we will have trouble, but take heart, He has overcome this world. And we believe that this good news for you and for me invites us to a life of joy. Not necessarily a life where everything goes perfectly and is without pain, but a life of joy nonetheless. And so these last couple of weeks, we've been looking at our contagious joy. That when you and I as Christians experience His goodness and focus our attention on what He's done, we're able to begin to let all the cares of the world weigh less heavy on us. That does not mean those cares go away, but we find in the midst of everything great joy. And so, so far we have discussed and learned about how we find joy first and foremost by abiding in Jesus. In fact, he himself said that he has spoken these things that we might have joy and have joy to the fullest. This is his desire. And so we connect 
with Jesus day in and day out and let Him be the source of joy for us. And then we talked about how we have joy when we learn to love ourselves. That if your inner monologue and that self-doubt and that self-hatred and self-loathing, if those things predominate, it will be really difficult to experience His joy. And so we need to learn to love ourselves with our words and with our actions. To honor God by engaging our body and using our body as a means of worship, which may mean something as simple as taking a small walk when you're having a a bad day, or sitting up with good posture when you just want to slouch, or eating healthily, or maybe even just eating at all. Engaging your body as an act of honor will help you experience God's joy. And last week, if you were here, you may have learned two hopefully really important things. The first one is That to experience God's contagious joy, you can't do it alone. You need community around you, friends you can count on. And the easiest way to make a friend is to be a friend to somebody else. To stop and see how they're doing and actually listen. And the second thing we learned last week was that a lot of you really like cats. And if I make jokes about cats, I'm going to come under fire. So for those of you who got offended that I'm not as much of a cat person as you are, thank you for all of the cat videos and pictures. I appreciated them this week, and they brought me joy. But today, as we conclude this series on joy, we're going to look back a little bit to the series that came before. If you recall, we talked about grief, and how do you and I as Christians learn to grieve? And see, today we're going to focus on the fact that joy is not just cheerfulness and everything going well with you. Joy is not just a smile on your face, acting like the world is perfect. Joy is something much deeper and more meaningful. Something that you and I can experience and have even when we're suffering. And in fact, I'd be willing to go so far as saying, That when we're connected with Jesus and his community and we learn to love ourselves, you and I can begin to experience joy, not even in our suffering, but perhaps even because of our suffering. That's where we're going to focus today. Now, before we do, let's just recall for a moment what is joy. Joy is not happiness. See, happiness comes and goes, and I can give it to you and take it from you in an instant. Imagine if today I pulled out of my back pocket a checkbook and I wrote you a check for a million dollars. Would you be filled with happiness? For a short time. time. And imagine if immediately afterwards I said, oh, by the way, your parents are about to die. Would that million dollars still fill you with joy? Not so much. Would it fill you with happiness for even less time? You see, happiness comes and goes with the experience of our current situation, with the weight of the world around us, so we can experience happiness eating Taco Bell, and very shortly afterwards, we experience all of the unpleasantness of the fact that we ate Taco Bell. We can experience happiness with a good cup of coffee, and then we can spill it down our shirt and wish we hadn't had that cup of coffee. Happiness is situational. 
And it is good to experience situational happiness. In fact, if you live in such a way that you're never happy, I would challenge you're probably doing something wrong. Because based on the number of cat videos I received this week, even if you don't like cats, there's something that can make you laugh in the moment. I promise. Happiness we can change, but we can't control. But joy is deep within us. It is a contentment, a peace that surpasses all understanding, a sense of, of just rest in the promise that you are loved. Joy is an understanding that nothing this world throws against you, no matter how terrible or miserable it may be, nothing can ever take God's love away from you. Not only are you loved, joy is an understanding that you have a Father who cares about you, who is actively working to do whatever it is you need done. And this sorrow and this suffering and this pain right now is really intense for tonight. It says in Psalms, though joy or sorrow may last for the night, joy comes in the morning. This promise that God is bringing a new joy in the midst of our sorrow. God cares about you in a way that you and I will never fathom. And when this begins to sink into not just an idea in our brain, but the, the very part of our heart that moves us in the morning, you can face a whole lot of really, really terrible pain. And know that it will be okay, even if right now it's not. And this is joy, a contentment that can celebrate a God who fights for you no matter what comes against you. A God who has rescued you and redeemed you and calls you his in the midst of the miry muck and all the miserable. God is for you. Full stop. Nothing can ever take that away from you. This sort of joy is not situational. It's conditional. And by that I mean it's conditioned upon God and not upon you. It's not about what you do right or wrong. It's about his promises that are unfailing and always, always fulfilled. You and I can have this joy in any circumstance. So we're going to begin in Scripture today with Romans chapter 5. If you're following along in the blue Bibles in the pews in front of you or along the walls upstairs, it's on page 1176. If you use your own phone or your own Bible, I don't know what page it's on. Romans chapter 5. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified means to be made right. You have been made right with God. He's not angry. He's not mad. He's not looking to punish you or prove to you just how wrong you were. No, he has made you right by faith. We have peace. 
Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Grace is an unmerited free gift that never runs out, that is always in greater measure than you will ever know you need. Through Jesus we have access to this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Before we continue into our sufferings, I just want to pause there for a moment. Oftentimes when we think of the glory of God, our mind naturally goes to all the times when God is in His highest and made known and great. So when we're praying for healing and that miraculous healing comes, that we often think is God's glory. And let me tell you, it is. Because glory is all of His awe and all of His wonder and all of His power and all of His majesty on display. But oftentimes our temptation is to think we only see God's glory in the really good times, in the mountaintop experiences when things go our way. But Scripture's really clear that God is most glorified, not when everything goes right according to our view of the world. God is most glorified in His Son Jesus, who suffered and died a miserably painful death to set the whole world free. And in that humility and that sacrifice and that suffering, we see the fullness of God's awe and wonder and majesty and power. Because that's how far He's willing to go to make everything right for you. In, or we rejoice in hope of the glory of God because of how far He's gone for us. We know the end of His love. There isn't one. We know how far He will continue to go. And now, because He is risen, we know even death is defeated and you and I will be with God. So we rejoice even in our sufferings. Because sufferings have a way of working in us something new. I like to hike. Anybody else in here like to hike? One of the things I love about hiking is I push myself beyond my limits to do something I can't normally do. And one of the things I hate about hiking is after the mountaintop experience where everything is wonderful, I have to come down the mountain. And if you've ever done that, you know that sometimes coming down hurts more than going up because your knees are getting old like mine and they creak and they pop and you're like, why did I do this? And for three days you're sore afterwards. There was something beautiful in that pain and in that process. Now, not every pain has something beautiful in it. When you watch a loved one die, there's not a lot of 
beauty in that pain. When you pray for God to move and restore a relationship and it continues to fall apart, it's really hard to see the beauty when everything is going wrong. But to rejoice in our sufferings is not to recognize that all of our bad things are good. It's to recognize that even in our bad things, God is good. And He can use that hardship and that pain to chisel away some of the hardness in our heart and to begin to mold us to see just how far He's willing to go to wipe away every tear and to comfort you and me in our sorrow. Suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Not when you had fixed your mess and made it all together. No, when you were weak and had nothing to offer, He died. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies of God in rebellion against Him, while we were still proud and arrogant and haughty in our own strength, even then, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if we, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You and I are made right with God. He continues, Paul does in a couple chapters later in chapter 8. This is what he writes beginning in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? I'm a dad of five children, two of whom I've never met because they died before they were born. And I could never in my wildest dreams imagine offering up my son for any of you. But God did. God gave his son while we were still enemies so that he could give to us all the life that we find in the resurrection. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You and I, in this world, will have all kinds of sorrow. Some of our sorrow is self-inflicted. When you touch a hot stove, you'll regret it for days as your hand heals. When you intentionally sin, you will feel the pain of that sin. That's the way it works. Some of our sorrow is completely self-inflicted. But a lot of our sorrow does not come from within comes from things other people have done against us. From a world, a creation that is broken, that is groaning for God to restore it. From a world that is filled with all kinds of natural disaster and pain and suffering. A world that is in need of redemption. And there's a lot of hardships and pain you and I can experience. We can also rejoice when we do. One of the things that made Christianity spread so quickly and so far in its early days, from just a handful of people to cover the world and fill the whole earth, was this community of people who actually rejoiced when they suffered. There was this idea in the early church that when we suffer, we are a little bit more like Jesus, for he himself suffered. And it wasn't that they were masochistic and they sought out suffering normally. Instead, it was that they just recognized suffering will happen. It just is until Christ returns. So let's celebrate that our God knows all of our pain and knows all of our hurt. And he himself suffered. In fact, there's a story in the book of Acts where Peter is imprisoned because he believes in Jesus. And because he's preaching about Jesus... They're like, stop doing this. He says, I'm not going to stop. And so they throw him in prison and they don't know what to do with him. And so finally they come up with a really good solution. They just beat him and they threaten him and say, we'll do it again if you keep preaching. And so, of course, Peter cowers in fear and says, no, no, please don't hurt me. It'll be fine. I will never say it again. No, not at all. This is what happens. It says this in Acts. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Picture that. You get beat into a pulp and you're like, thank you, God. This is great because I'm a little bit more like Jesus. If you met somebody like that, how would you respond I mean, let's be honest, initially I'd be like, you're kind of crazy. Do you like pain? Who, what kind of person celebrates pain? But when this is persistent, 
over and over again, whatever that hardship may be, as Paul writes in Corinthians, whether he's shipwrecked or dealing with famine or beaten or imprisoned, whatever might come to pass, if you are a person who is so consumed with God's love that you can have peace in all of it, it becomes really, really winsome for a world that says, I don't know how to feel like you do. This is where Jesus says, hey, don't fear those who can kill the body. Fear the one who can kill the body and the soul. Like the worst they can do to you is kill you. Is it really that bad? Because if they do, you will be with Christ. And he will restore you to new life for all of time. So what's the worst that could happen? In fact, the early church had such a mindset focused on the suffering like Jesus that there were some who actually prayed for the opportunity to suffer. They didn't seek it out. They just asked for it. There's one man named Origen. Perhaps you've heard of him. When he was a young boy, his dad was killed for being a Christian, and he was left with just his mom. So at the age of 13, he found out that the Romans were coming through to kill all the Christians, and he was excited. Now was his opportunity to stand before everybody and say, I believe in Jesus, and to die like his dad did. But of course, his mom didn't want that for him, so she hid all of his clothes because she knew he'd be too ashamed to go out naked to his death. And so he lived and he wrote all kinds of great things for us to read and study later. I just, could you imagine that kind of attitude? Look, I know you might hate me for speaking truth, but I'm going to speak it in love anyway. I know you might hate me because the way I act towards you doesn't make sense. You want revenge, but instead I love you. It even says in Romans that when we do that, we heap burning coals on our enemies. Like, you want true revenge on those that you don't really like or those that have hurt you? Love them unconditionally. It will drive them nuts. I promise. Begin to walk through the hardships of this life, be them of your own creation or someone else's, and to look to the Father who loves you through it all, who will one day restore it, who has promised that the worst they can do to you is kill your body. And he has proven he can raise that from the dead. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we are strengthened to be filled with joy whatever happens. And sometimes we have happiness and joy, and sometimes we have sorrow and joy. But in all times, we have a God who loves us, who cares for us, who has entered into our suffering to take our pain that we can give all of it before him say, God, this really, really sucks, but I'm trusting in your promises and your goodness and the future you have for me. And in this, I rejoice. Will you pray with me? God, we confess that suffering hurts. It's not something we take lightly or we look forward to, but you know our pain. You know the pain of loss. You know the pain of persecution, the pain of hatred and words spoken against you. You know the pain of beatings and torture and suffering and death. God, whatever we endure, help us to fix our eyes on you, to see your glory in your suffering, that we can rejoice in hope. 
Help us to see the depths to which you love us. The worst this world can do is take our bodies. But you will restore even that. God, help us in all circumstances to trust that you will always be enough and will be good. May you strengthen us and preserve us in this life for whatever may come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we continue our worship today, we continue by collecting an offering. In this place, we believe that an offering is an opportunity to partner with God in the work that He's doing. To trust that He will provide for our every need and to give some of what He's given to us back in thanksgiving. So if you came prepared to give today and you'd like to give with cash or check, or if you filled out one of those physical connect cards with a way we can pray with you or a way that we can connect with you, you can place that in the black boxes as you exit by the doors. And if you're somebody who prefers to give online and you came today prepared to give, you can do so at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Well, every week we welcome your questions, and I do my best to respond to them. And so, Tyler, what questions came in today? All right, let's see. The first one is, how long did Jesus live after he rose again? I believe the day of Pentecost was 40 days after his resurrection, and then he ascended into heaven, where he continues to live, just not here with us for now. And one day he will return from that place and restore all the world to what he created it to be. So I think it was 40 days, and he appeared to over 500 people in those 40 days, if I recall correctly. All right. The next one says, what if we are doing what we should, praying, reading the scriptures, going to church, being at church, eating right, exercising, reaching out, socializing, and helping others, and the heaviness doesn't lift, and sadness remains? What's next? I came across a verse probably six months ago that I think I've read maybe a dozen times, but it never hit me until then. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 gives this long list of all of his sufferings, and most of it I'm like, that sounds miserable, like a drift at sea for a day and shipwrecked multiple times and all of these terrible things. And then at the very end of the list comes this one verse, and among other things, there's the constant daily pressure of all my anxiety for all the churches. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. Sometimes the only thing going wrong in our life is just the weight of the world that we seem to feel. And what comes right after that in chapter 12, Paul three times cries out to God, take away this thorn in my flesh, which we don't know what he meant by that, but something that was plaguing him. And three times he cries out and God doesn't take it away. And then God says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is is sufficient for you. So what do we do when we're doing all the right things and the weight of the world still seems heavy on our shoulders? We just keep going. One day at a time, one step at a time, knowing that we might feel that weight and that heaviness indefinitely in this life. But take heart, he has overcome this world. And that weight and that heaviness will not be forever. I would also say if you're feeling that, maybe seek some help 
Like, talk to somebody else, perhaps me, or maybe a counselor, or maybe seek somebody. Perhaps there's actually a chemical thing that you need some medicine for. I can't describe that or or decide that for you, but somebody else could. So if you're still feeling all of that weight, I would say persist and seek help from others. What what do you do if someone tells you that they worship Satan? Depends on the context. Are they asking me if they can be saved? Sure, let me tell you how. Are they telling me to try to make me afraid? Uh, Okay, not really concerned. Satan's not as big as our God and he'll handle it. It'll be fine. Are they telling me just kind of flippantly like in passing? Well, then maybe I'll ask more about it. Why is that? Tell me more. Uh, What does that mean for you? What does that look like? Really, I believe every one of us is more than capable of worshiping false gods. And Satan's just one among many things we can falsely worship. And so if somebody is worshiping Satan and telling you about it, that's an invitation to get to know them a little more and share with them why that's not who you worship and the God you worship has defeated Satan. There you go. All right, last one. Um, How can you say God loves and cares for me when there is so much pain in my life or even the whole world? There is so much suffering, abuse, and pain. I love the story of creation in Genesis that people often gloss right over. And what I love about that story in Genesis is if you remember the tree they were not supposed to eat from was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And to know something is more than just to think about it or intellectually rationalize it. To know something in Scripture is to experience the weight and the reality of whatever that thing is you know. And so the knowledge of the tree of good and evil was to experience the fullness of that which is good and the fullness of that which is evil. And if you remember, prior to them eating of that tree, everything they experienced was good. So why is it God said, don't eat of that tree? He said, when you eat of that fruit, you will die. You will experience all of the weight of suffering and sorrow and evil, a thing you don't need to know. Trust me, I know what suffering's like and you don't need it. And I love that story because what happens right afterwards is their eyes are opened and they are filled with shame because they recognize they're naked. The weight of evil and sorrow and suffering fills us with anger and hurt and shame and bitterness and all kinds of terrible things we don't need to know. But that was not God's intention and it's not his final plan. In fact, the first death that happens in the Bible happens right afterwards where God kills an animal to shed its blood and cover their nakedness and their shame to provide for them a means of no longer being ashamed. The whole story of Scripture is a story of God who says suffering is not His intention for us forever. And so how can we worship a God and say that He loves us when right now the world really, really sucks and things are evil? Because this was not how it's supposed to be. And this is temporary. This sorrow, this evil, this abuse, this pain, all of these things will one day cease to be and all that will be left is a really, really good God who loves you wholly, who for the rest of eternity will restore you to the life you were always supposed to have. Any other questions? I believe that is it. Cool. Well, I got a couple of things for you. First, 
Uh, last week in jest, I introduced to you in absentee our new executive assistant, and I just want to say that was wrong of me to introduce you in jest and joke about her being an introvert, because she was helping me do something out there, enjoy that picnic. So I would like today to properly introduce you to Michelle Witte. If you'll do me a favor and stand up, I'm not going to have you come up here, um, because I know you're, you're feeling sore today. If you've never met Michelle in the two weeks she's been my ex executive assistant, I've, I can already tell things are going to be much better around here because she's here. Uh, Michelle, feel free to stop and talk to her after church today or her husband, Mark or Matthias. They're wonderful and I'm glad they're now on staff to join us. So I just want to make sure I said that. Second, have you ever been in a church where you just felt like you were going through the motions and showing up and leaving and nobody knew who you were and you didn't know anyone and you wondered what's the purpose of any of this? Please join me next Saturday for the Rediscovering the Point. I really believe it will be a time of great encouragement and excitement to dive in to learn who you are and how God made you and what your, your place here in this church looks like and how God wants to move in you and through you into our community. I think it's going to be awesome. So if you haven't yet signed up, please do so. I will provide you some breakfast and some lunch, which hopefully is enticing enough. What? and some tea because I know Michael hates coffee, all right? So with that, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.